I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of uncertainty with the future, specifically within the next one to two years, the way I see it. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. He's the most popular character in the 299 Days book series. Well, maybe second most after Pal. And he's been the most popular guest we've had on this show. He's the real Special Forces Ted, who is the real-life Green Beret, who is the inspiration for the character of that same name in the 299 Days book series. He gives us, in this episode, his Green Beret perspective on current events and why you should keep on prepping. And, as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. So where are you going to find Shelby most of the days that you come home from work, Mr. Tate? Uh, in the greenhouse slash raised beds. Garden. Garden. In the garden. Why am I over there? Because you love growing stuff and you love growing food for us so that we're not dependent on a flawed system. So I wanted to share with you, I've scared Glenn a few times when he can't find me and my phone's not working. So now he's learned, just come look in the greenhouse yeah. first. So I want to just tell you right now, if you are looking for a good non-chemical, non-GMO, great seeds, I want to direct your attention to Survival Garden Seeds. We have formed a new partnership with them and I am beyond crazy excited. They specialize in heirloom seeds that you can get at an amazing discount compared to what the prices are in the store. If you use the coupon code PREPPING2.0 at checkout, you get an extra percentage off their survival seed packs, whether it be 30 seeds, 50 seeds, these huge packs. So. What if you're like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, Shelby, where do I find them? Just go to our website, prepping2-0.com, click on friends and affiliates, you'll see them there, and you'll see the coupon code there. This is a great time of year to get some of those early summer things going, like lettuces, radish, all of those quick, fast things before the heat really hits the summer, and you can plan your fall stuff. Planting seeds for your whole summer might be beyond it, but hey, stock up on them now so you have them ready for next year totally recommend survival garden seeds and speaking of our website which is prepping2-0.com on there we have something called the top 100 items that disappear first this is a list created by bosnia survivors of the 100 things that they noticed disappeared first so it's a great checklist for things you should have and it's great to get one of these every week from us because it's kind of a weekly reminder and it gets you thinking about stuff so this week number 15 is a non-electric grain grinder and we have a grain grinding company they're not a sponsor they're just nice people they make their grain grinders here in montana it's grain maker at grainmaker.com so consider giving them a look because hey i mean let's keep it in montana let's spread our money around montanans and patriots reason of the week to be a patreon that would be the lightning round after the show here's what you missed if you're not a patreon listening to the after show 50 taliban versus shelby with zip ties who wins shelby every day oh yeah that was almost a too easy of a question no doubt about it. <laughs> I think that was informative. Well, let's get into it. I wanted to set the stage for folks. You know, to any reader of the 299 Day series, and that's most of you listening, Special Forces Ted needs no introduction. He's the real deal. He's a real Green Beret and the real inspiration behind the Special Forces Ted character in the books. He's a prepper and has a keen observation point on current events. He's a very popular guest. With no further ado, Let's say hello to Special Forces Ted. Hello, Special Forces Ted. Hey, how's it going? Thanks again for having me on the show. Well, we were looking at our archives. This is your fifth appearance on the show, which means you're number one. I know how competitive you guys are. So you're number one in the class. We've had some great runners up. We've had Sean Swanson, a frequent guest. We've had a whole cast of amazing guests, but you're number one. And I was not kidding. The popularity of when you come on, we get a lot of Patreon comments. Uh, when we ask Patreons, what would you like to see as a topic? Inevitably, a couple people say, well, we need to hear more from Special Forces Ted. Let me ask you a few questions to kind of get folks familiar with you if they aren't. And by the way, if they've read the 299 Days book series or listened to it on audiobook, 
they know you pretty well because the character in that book was very close to the real Special Forces Ted. First question people want to know is, are you a prepper? Oh, yes, I'm absolutely a prepper. Um, It's definitely part of my everyday life. I love how you say it's part of your life because that's how it needs to be. It can't be. And we just got done with a, I think, honestly, a really good episode that we did on staying motivated for prepping. And we talked about crisis preppers and headline preppers versus people that prep as a lifestyle. And if you're in this for the long haul, it needs to be a lifestyle. You can't just be what I call a buy it now prepper. You go on Amazon, you say, oh, I need a bug out bag fully assembled. Uh, Buy it now. And then you think you're covered. So, you know, it's a lifestyle, especially when you factor in that you need to learn skills. That's part of a lifestyle. You can't buy it now for some skills. Before I ask you this, I should say we're going to be vague about Special Forces Ted's background and some of the things he did in the military out of necessity and his sense of professionalism. So roughly, where did you grow up? What kind of region? Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, rural area in the Midwest. Okay. So you're not like a city boy. Yeah, absolutely not. No, it's a small town, probably 8,000 people by the time I left, probably around 4,000 when I grew up there. Okay. So tell us about your career path in the Army. What did you start out doing? What are some of the units to the, and you can be vague, not down to the, you know, platoon or company, but what are some of the things you did in the Army before you became a Green Beret? Sure. Yeah. I, I joined the Army in 1995. Uh, I was a 11 Bravo infantryman. My first duty assignment, I was uh, at the 101st Airborne Air Assault Division, whatever you want to call it. I was there for roughly three years, and then uh, I had a break in service. Uh, I got out of the Army for almost a year. I went to school. I loved the Army. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't making a mistake by staying in it. So then I decided, hey, definitely want to go back in the Army. I knew that I wanted to try out for Special Forces, but back then there were still some requirements uh, before you could try out that I... I uh, hadn't met yet. You had to be a, a Sergeant E5 to try out. And uh, when I was coming back in, they were going to take away some rank, so I couldn't do that quite yet. So I, I went to the 82nd Airborne for a little bit of time and deployed to Kosovo with 82nd Airborne. This is pre-GWAT, pre-9-11, and then went to Special Forces Selection in the spring of 2000. So generally, and not talking about what you did, but generally, what are some of the schools that are involved in, in order to become a Green Beret? Well, you have uh, Special Forces Selection, which uh, at the time was a 21-day selection process where it's not like anything you'd see, like regular um, military training where people are screaming at you and everything else. It's actually like the polar opposite. You show up there and you get all of your guidance written on a whiteboard, and uh, the board will tell you exactly what to do, what to have, and when to be there, and you don't really get any motivation no one's yelling, no one's anything, and you just follow the directions, and they just want to see how you perform. And uh, that's pretty much the first two weeks of uh, SFAS is just them evaluating you. And then, you know, you move into, like, land navigation and some pretty brutal land navigation training. And then from land nav, you go into team week. That was really the only time that you came together and had to work with other people, and they wanted to evaluate how you worked with other people, both as a leader and a follower. And that itself was a, a really great experience. After that, I, I was a SF engineer originally, so uh, everyone had to go to small unit tactics. Even though I was an infantryman, it was still required. So we showed up at the Camp McCall, did small unit tactics, came back, did engineer training, which is highly a demolitions course with some construction sprinkled in. And then, then we went out to Robin Sage, where we did our unconventional warfare training. And then uh, after that, I got to go to six months of language school. Let me back up. Before language school, I went to SEER school, which was just under a month of survival, evasion, resist, and escape out of Camp McCall in North Carolina. And then I went to language school. Most people did language and then SEER. For some reason, I did SEER and then language. And then I went to my duty assignment. And what was your language? So, yeah, my language was uh, Mandarin Chinese which much my sugar had definitely not an easy language to learn. And I wouldn't say I mastered it at all, but uh, I was able to pass the test and get by with it. But it's definitely a challenging language. I think it was a mistake that they gave it to me, but, you know, I guess you have to, you have to roll with the punches and uh, it worked out okay, I guess. You probably wanted, when you open up the envelope and they told you what language you're going to take, you probably were hoping to see Canadian. 
<laughs> that would have been ideal. Yeah, Canadian would have worked fine. Yeah, there's a lot of other languages. I was in first special forces group, as everyone knows. And Southeast Asia is basically our area of operation. And there's a lot of other languages that are a lot more useful, I think, at least at the time I was there, that could have been a lot more useful, uh, specifically like Tagalog or Thai or something like that. But I see the strategic reasoning behind giving people Mandarin as well. So it just wasn't nearly as easy, I don't think. So before you go any further, I want to just jump in here and give a quick shout out to our awesome and amazing sponsors. Folks, you can find all of our sponsors at our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on friends and affiliates and over there you will find, oh my gosh, Pro One Water Filter, not just one tank water filter system but a whole house water filter system help you with all of your water filtration needs katie armor stands for come and take it armor backwards home magazine oh my gosh their latest publication was on chickens a new man of food specializes in bulk freeze-dried food for your deep preps minuteman coffee which is the reason why i can talk so fast right now paul burke Idaho Realtor specializes in providing and connecting first responders and preppers to great prepping properties. You can find them at our website as well as firstresponserealty.com. Powered by Fathom Realty, Gibbs Firearms specializes in, Glenn, you can say it best. A left side charging AR charging device. So the one mistake Mikhail Kalishnikov made was having a right-handed charging handle. And Gibbs Arms has actually improved on Kalashnikov's design by making it in their AR platforms, making it a left-hand charging thing. Well, back to the questions for Special Forces Ted. Why don't you tell the story, sir, about uh, how we met? So, yeah, I was, I was uh, hanging out at the gun store. Um, used to hang out with my friend uh, Chip once in a while, and he, he's actually the guy who taught me how to build AR-15s. And uh, I was hanging out in the back back area of the gun store, and uh, he was showing me some AK that one of the customers has brought, had brought in. And we were playing around with it. And in walks Glenn, I, I didn't know who he was at the time. He walks in and Chip was acting a little squirrely. And he's like, hey, don't, don't show this, this weapon to him or whatever. You know, keep it away from him. I'm like, what's the deal? You know, why not? He's like, oh, you don't want him to see it. He's a lawyer, <laughs> which, which whatever. I thought that was, that was kind of funny, but we were at the same time because you looked a little, a little embarrassed about that. And then you, you're, you said something like, oh, we're not all bad or something like that. And I was like, yeah, no, no problem. No, it's all good. But uh, yeah, I think that was the first time we met. And that was pretty cool. And, and for those readers of the 299 Days book series, um, the, the description in there is very, very similar to our first conversation and then subsequent conversations we had. And I thought it was just really cool because you don't get to meet Green Berets every day. And especially in such a cool setting where, you know, and you're such a chill guy. It was like, oh, yeah, he's a lawyer, you know, no big deal. Um, everyone thinks, by the way, that since I'm a lawyer, I somehow enforce the law. I don't enforce the law, everybody. Like people are like, I better buckle my seatbelt because you're a lawyer. You know, come on. I'm not I'm not the cops. No, you're not. No, because I, I break some laws myself. Um well, um, so what was your reaction when I told you that you were a character in a book series? And before you answer that, I should let folks know a key fact. And that is, I didn't tell you you were going to be a character in a book. I just surprised you. You did that to all of your characters, exactly. I believe. I kind of did it to mine, too. Yeah. It keeps people from wanting to have agreements and rights and yeah. royalties. Right yeah, schmites. Yeah. And then, and then they don't say, well, make me sound cool in the books. No, you're going to sound the way I want you to because I'm the author, dagnabbit. So anyway, what was your reaction when um, I told you that you were a character in a book series? So, yeah, I actually remember specifically where I was at. We were uh, we were all eating breakfast together down at that pub uh, in the Squally. And, uh, Breakfast at a pub. Said, well done. <laughs> and uh, uh, Glenn had walked in, and you know, uh, I think Chip was like, "Oh, everyone, there's there's Glenn Tate, blah blah blah." You know, and I'm like, "Who? What?" And he's like, "Yeah, he wrote a book, and you're in it." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> how, how how am I in it?" And, you know, so that was the first I heard of it, and I was like, "Well, I better check it out, see what it's all about." And I was just blown away. Well done. Well, and, and I'm not just asking for compliments, but I think people want to hear about it. When you say we're blown away, what blew you away about the book series? There, there's just so much detail in some of, some of the stuff you have, like the CA type stuff and, 
a lot of the and what's CA by the way? What's CA? The civil, the, the civil affair aspect that you had to uh, to the book. Yeah, sorry, I have to clarify for the other people. Uh, but even even the unconventional warfare aspect that that was a big part in, in the later books. It was just you you had so much detail to it that you you would have thought that the author would have had, had you know been in the military, had some sort of SF or, or special ops background to to have that that depth of knowledge. And yeah, I was definitely blown away that you knew all that stuff. So that was, that was really good. Well, and one of the things, and it's and I, I rarely do self-praise because it's obnoxious, but I have to say that one of the greatest compliments is what you just said. And also another uh, special operations veteran, Sean Swanson, got a hold of me and, and he said, so what group are you in? Meaning which special forces group? You mentioned first group. And I said, I'm a lawyer. He said, no, seriously, come on. Yeah, which group are you in? Because he was just absolutely convinced I was a Green Beret. And I said, no, I just... First of all, I said stuff that made sense in the in the sense that if you're going to fight an unconventional war, you would go about it in a particular way that just kind of seemed intuitive. And second of all, I had kind of a secret weapon in all of this, and that was the Wes character, who's a real guy named Wes, by the way. You can see how creative I am. And Wes lives in North Carolina and is a volunteer. Uh, he's a civilian a volunteer for the Robin Sage course that you mentioned, which is, I believe, a six-week course. Is that how long it is? Um, it may be total. Uh, the field problem part is, I think, just over three uh -huh. uh, or around three. But I, I think there's a, a couple of weeks beforehand where you, you do a lot of the academic stuff and develop your team SOPs, stuff like that beforehand. Okay, and that's sort of a real-world simulation, massive simulation, covers at least one county, maybe more, where – Green Beret uh, applicants, uh, candidates, I should say, go out in the field and it's very elaborate with, with role playing. They have a lot of civilians like Wes who play the parts of indigenous friendly forces that the Green Berets um, uh, lead and train. And then there are, in, you know, bad guys that, and it's all done with role playing. It's an amazing, amazing thing. If more people knew about Robin Sage, I understand why the army doesn't want people to, but um, it's it's an amazing thing. So Wes, being a volunteer, saw all these things, and I would call him constantly, and I would say, even though Wes is not a Green Beret, I would say, hey, how would Green Berets handle this? For example, you find out somebody in your ranks is uh, not not a supporter. There may be a sympathizer with the other side. I mean. Are you just going to shoot them or is there some other, you know, less permanent uh, way of handling the problem? All these things. And I think those are some of the details you mentioned. So I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that as a complete non-military novice, I somehow just figured out all these things that Special Forces does. I did have my secret weapon, which was Wes, but I must say that I augmented it with what just kind of made sense. So yeah, no, thank you very much. And, and people love you in the books and you provided a lot of inspiration for the character, for the personality of special forces, Ted. So um, now when did you realize that 299 days was a popular thing? In other words, it wasn't just Glenn's manifesto or writings in a diary or something, you know, very, very small like that. It became something that I'm guessing people in your profession have read. When did you realize it was a thing? You know, well, after I found out you had written the books, I had jumped on the internet and did some looking around to see what it was all about and uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. And there, there was a lot of people giving reviews of the things you, you had written because if I remember correctly at the time, you didn't release all 10 books at once. It was, it was a book every once in a while until they all came out. And they, people were just talking about how, you know, they can't wait for the next book to come out or until they read the next book or, or whatnot. And uh, then I started to talk, to talk to people I worked with casually. And uh, the more I talked to people, people were like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. Or, you know, I'm reading that book right now or, you know, whatnot. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's definitely – you know, from living in the South Puget Sound at the time to uh, reaching out and moving to where I live now in North Carolina, you know, people from the East Coast definitely know 299 Days and, and have read it. So it's it's definitely a lot more widespread than, 
than I thought it was, it was when I first heard about it. That's so cool. And so when, when you talk, the first person you talked to who said, yeah, I've read that book. Did you say, Oh, I'm special forces, Ted, or did you keep it secret? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't say I was, I, I, uh, I talked to him for a while. It was actually a guy named Wes I worked with. I talked to him for a while. I was like, Hey, uh, so what'd you think of this? What'd you think of that? I'm like, you're probably not going to believe me, but actually I'm, I'm based off of this character. He's like, whatever, dude. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had, I had to show him the book that you gave me that you signed, you know, the real special forces, Ted. And he's like, wow, that, that's really you. I'm like, well, kind of. Yeah. That, that's who I'm from. That's so cool. I, I love it. I love these stories. And, and I continue to be amazed at how, popular the the book series it it was never supposed to be read by anybody i'm sure you've heard the story i'm sure i've told it to you in person started off as a post-it note with some bullet points it was not that i sat down and said i'm gonna write 10 books uh it just continued to evolve and and for it to have an effect on people especially the characters because the characters are obviously people i i care about in most cases some of the characters are people that i don't like but um so it's cool that it's it's had that uh, effect on you. What are some other thoughts? We have a couple minutes before we go to our hard break for segment two. What are some other, even miscellaneous thoughts you have about the book series and its effect on people? Um, I, I guess really a lot, a lot of the stuff that was in the first couple of books, especially like the way you were prepping, uh, having to keep stuff in a storage storage unit and stuff like that. Well, coincidentally, I didn't have my own storage unit, but I was squirreling stuff away in my garage. And, you know, I didn't really have to talk with my wife about that. And uh, after reading your books, it definitely gave me more courage to, to approach her about stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really until I had her read Shelby's books that she got all on board with prepping, believe it or not. Oh, tell us so about that. Was, we have a, a minute or it, two. Tell us about that. It, it, That's a great story. That is really the, the combination of both your books, but then, I bought her both, all three Shelby's books for Christmas one year, a couple of years back. And after she read it, she was like, okay, you know, what, what do we need to do to start? I'm like, well, we're already started. And I started showing her stuff. And uh, that's kind of how that went. But yeah, she, uh, she, she loved the book. Yeah, she was a little pissed at first, but uh, she's like, okay, I get it, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's worked out. Now yeah, she's got her own garden, you know, raised garden bed. She's, she's doing more, probably more than I'm doing on a daily basis to, to keep the, you know, the family ready and prepared. So it's definitely a, a good thing to have her on board with it. Well, and you mentioned she's, she's kind of doing more now. That's one of the cool things about a prepper couple is that uh, just the way life goes, sometimes one of the two um, kind of carries more of the load. And then sometimes that load shifts and there are different aspects of prepping, different topics that, that men and women naturally gravitate to. Um, I don't expect uh, your wife to do close quarters, um, you know, firefights. And uh, I don't necessarily assume that you're going to be a master gardener. So it's great that the two can work together. And as we talked about in our last episode, there's a seasonality to prepping. Sometimes there are bursts of activity and sometimes it's lower. So before, Absolutely. so before we go into any more deeper con uh, conversation with Special Forces Ted, and we have some amazing things, we want to find out his thoughts on what's happening in the world right now. So, folks, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. 
Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One Water Filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One Water Filter Gravity Systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E-U-S-A.com. Most tested, most trusted. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for rejoining us. Shelby Gallagher here. We're just getting started, really, with our conversation with Special Forces Ted. Of course, be sure to stick around for the after show if you're a Patreon supporter so you can hear the lightning round with Special Forces Ted. That'll be a lot of fun. So we were breaking off with talking about the wives and getting a spouse to get on board, and Special Forces Ted was talking about that with us. And I have to just say, a special memory for me because clearly I don't Glenn and Special Forces Ted go way back but there was a phone conversation that the two couples the Glenn mm-hmm. that we all had together and it was really cute when we got on the phone with Special Forces Ted's wife she's like I'm talking to Shelly Gallagher and I'm like I'm just me so it was really cute it so, always amazes us when we uh, get yes, that yes it is and so and super special lady you got right there Special Forces Ted wanted to tell folks about EMP Shield it's a device that protects your devices from an EMP or CME a coronal mass ejection we get sales figures from EMP Shield of how many of you are ordering this product from our website, which is prepping2-0.com, friends and affiliates link. Holy cow, are lots of you getting an EMP Shield. If this product sucked, I would have heard about it by now. So I feel pretty good about that. Archive Dive, this is where we go back and look at old episodes. This is for newer listeners in particular. They may not know that we have some topics back in the day. And one of the topics was Special Forces Ted. He first came on the show in episodes 10 and 11, which were aired January 2019. So he has been a long time prepping 2.0 
guest. Well, wanted to resume our questions for you, sir, and I would love to ask you an open-ended question. It's something that listeners are very interested in. What is your take on current events? That's a huge question. Um, a lot of different things to look at when I think about what's going on right now in the world. And I'm telling you right now, there's a, a lot of uncertainty with the future, specifically within the next one to two years, the way I see it. Everything from what's going on with China, what's going on with Russia, what's going on at the border. Just recently, I read a news article about 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate going missing uh, on its way to California. And that coincides with the Title 42 thing <laughs> pretty right away. So, I mean, to me, that looks like there's a planned terrorist attack going to happen inside the United States. That makes me quite a concern. Not to mention what could happen with Ukraine. What happens if Ukraine does gain momentum and starts pushing back into Russia, into Crimea? If they take Crimea back, I don't know if Putin's going to let that happen. I think that if they actually put boots on the ground in Crimea, that might be Putin's final straw for him to start using tactical nuclear weapons, which is a big deal. And then uh, we have the whole China thing in the Pacific. China with Taiwan, and they were just threatening uh, Japan last week. And there's a lot of things that come unraveled very quickly. I think China needs to make their move before the U.S. can gain military parity in the Pacific. And uh, I don't think we have that right now. I don't think we're built up to it right now. If you read... Uh, read the newspapers right now, it looks like we're still trying to build up forces and they need to act before we're able to respond to them properly. So I think there's a lot of things happening right now that uh, are very concerning and it should make everyone want to, you know, put everything in overdrive and get ready for something terrible. What are some sleeper threats? Maybe some things that people don't normally think of, and I appreciate your overview of what you said. I mean, what are some things that you say to yourself you know, people ought to think about the following. What are some things that come to mind? One thing I've been thinking about is this past few months is uh, all these train derailments and food production facilities burning and all this stuff. And, it, and it, it comes straight out of the handbook of Russian special forces and basically what they do to prep the environment before they start a war with a, a country. Basically, things they do before the actual conventional war starts straight out of their handbook. Now, do I see a conventional invasion inside the United States? I don't think they're capable of that. But I think that they're definitely capable of undermining our infrastructure within the United States that would reduce our capability to do uh, force projection into their region. So I think that's very concerning. They attack us at the home front, and then uh, we can't send more troops or equipment over there to help them fight the Ukrainians. Do you think it's possible that China and Russia team up and so the events you described happen and simultaneously China invades Taiwan? So we're in a two-front war, a three-front war, if you include the activities on our home soil. So I've considered that quite a bit. And I think it's very likely that those two are already in concert together. On a non-kinetic approach, though, one thing that's very concerning to me is the whole uh, BRICS alignment and uh, how they're trying to replace the U.S. dollar as the oil reserve currency. Tell folks what BRICS is. It's an alignment by Brazil, South America, Russia, India. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few countries South here. Africa. But anyway, South Africa, yeah. It's a handful of countries that basically have been uh, playing second fiddle to the United States for the past 50 years that are trying to undermine our currency and uh, have an alignment to have an uh, alternate economy going alongside, a parallel economy going alongside ours that will definitely devalue our dollar if not completely undermine it, which would make the dollars you hold right now in your bank completely worthless or worth a lot less than they're worth right now. The so, Venezuela you know, scenario. Times a thousand, mm -hmm. right? So that's just another aspect, I think, of this. Uh, yeah, I think that, I think within the next, one to two years, we're going to see a lot of changes happening very rapidly. I think that a lot of the groundwork has already been laid, and we need to really start focusing on our, our local communities, local environments, and uh, really get, get your networks going because you're not going to be able to do it all by yourself. Tell folks how they can do what you just said. You know, go make friends. Go find people <laughs> that you share common ground with and, uh, and, and, and start, you know, start building your, your friendships, your, your uh, relationship networks, 
through it could be through a church, through uh, civic uh, type groups, you know, whatever it is. Just meet like-minded people that 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 share the same thoughts, thoughts, and uh, bring something to the table with you, and start start going from there. Everyone has a life experience. Most people have something they can offer you. Now, granted, there are some people that are are bottom feeders. All they want to do is take and not give back. And you're gonna to have to sort through that. But uh, you know, there's there's plenty of good people out there that just want what you want for your family. They want for their families. And if you can work together, I think it's gonna help everyone in these trying times ahead. Sounds like Pierce Point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which was the setting uh, for those who haven't read or listened to 299 Days was the setting where all of this happened. Um, do you think it makes a difference if you live in a red state versus a blue state? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, and, yeah. you're, and you're one of them as well, right? You you moved from lived a in both. blue state to a red state. I mean, North Carolina right. is kind of purplish, I'll say, but the part of it's, North Carolina you live in is red. It, and it's not Washington state. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, I mean, even even if you look at Washington state, it's, you know, it's it's eastern Washington and western Washington. And those two Washingtons are polar opposite. And uh, same with North Carolina. Um the majority of North Carolina are just good God-fearing people. And then you have, you know, your urban areas, which are, you know, your, your, your socialist, you know, crack holes and uh, people that just want to leech off the system. Um, I think that as soon as uh, our current governor is no longer our governor and hopefully our lieutenant governor steps in, uh, I think that North Carolina is going to be a hard red state. It's going to, you know, it's going to be up there with Florida and all the rest of them. I am I'm convinced of it. Well, that's that's but good yeah. news. No, but yeah, there's a huge there's a huge difference. Just I, I think it's mindset that's really really what's important between you know the the blue state and the red state, and just the way people look at the world, the way that people look at life. And you know, you have people in the blue state that you know expect the government to come come in and help them whenever an emergency happens, and uh, then you have people you know in the red states that. We just want to, you know, if you let's leave us alone, let us do our thing. We're going to be okay. You don't have to come help us, you know. And if we do need help, it's going to be minimum. I don't think anyone I know relies on the government when a hurricane comes through or anything else. You know, if it's not doing it yourself, your neighbors, whatever, you're going to get through it that way. There's not enough. There's too many people with their hand out to to help everyone. So you have to be self reliant, be able to take care of yourself and your people. Well, and that's one point we made. We just did a show two episodes ago called Was It Worth It? And we looked back mm-hmm. at the two-year mark and looked at the differences between the blue state we came from and the red state. And we gave it two years to really learn this red state because you can't just show up and read the Chamber of Commerce literature about like what tax rates are and stuff like that. You have to live here to really appreciate it. And our overwhelming conclusion was it's not tax rates it's not laws that that our legislature passed this session which have been in the national news which are fantastic laws it's not just that in this county um you know an unopposed or pardon me a a republican legislator gets 72 percent of the vote and has an opponent right it wasn't like (laughs) like they were unopposed and so it's not just that that's all cool and that's really a reflection of the people it's the quality of the people. And I said, yes, I'm generalizing big time, but you have to when you talk about entire states and entire regions of the country, the people right. in Montana. And when we say Montana, we mean other red states, too. It's the same thing. The people in red states are objectively speaking, better quality people. And by that, I mean, they have that mindset you were talking about, about not being dependent. Again, huge generalization. Um, and they have a mindset when you live through a Montana winter, helping people stranded on the side of the road is not just an abstract thought. It's a serious, oh, my God, am I going to save a life today? And or is somebody going to save my life if I'm stranded? I was I crashed into a two foot snowbank on a highway and a guy pulled me out and, you know, he was late for work and, and he made a sacrifice to help me out. And he's like, it's just the Montana way. So. I'm glad to hear what you're saying because you happen to agree with me, which is always nice. But it is the quality of people and it has such a huge effect because as you were alluding to, you just get to know people and you're getting to know good people and the details flow from there. If, if you're talking to a good person 
and you have a relationship with a good person, you don't have to ask them or talk about guns because they already have them, right? I mean, that's right. that's the beauty. And so, um, you know, and I get to question a lot, you know, how are we setting up our network in Montana? We're kind of not. Um, we're getting to know people on a social level. And once we have vetted them and made sure that they're not, you know, scumbags, um, then we know all the details fall into place. And so it is a thousand times easier to have a local network in a red state than it was in a blue state. You know what, Shelby, I just realized this as I'm talking about this, looking back at it, I can't believe we even tried in a blue state. It I know, we, such ta- an we talk battle. about that all the time where it's like, why did we even try to, right, we're, we're with people that aren't like us. That's it, That's kind of the bottom line, don't you think? Yeah, they want to take our stuff and in some cases do much worse. Um, one of the current events that that I find interesting is the the wokeness of the military. Um, we have, for example, uh, a Navy recruiting campaign that has a drag queen, uh, TikTok star, who's also a sailor. Um, and so what do you think, I mean, what do you hear about the, the level of wokeness in the military? Because this is an important point and people need to understand what's really going on as opposed to just reading headlines. You know what I mean? Details matter in this. So what what's your assessment of the wokeness or non-wokeness of the military? So, so for, for, for my analysis on this, you're going to have to put your tinfoil hat on. Okay. I might get a little weird with this one, but I, I, I think it's it's the version of the, the American warfighter and the, the, the military culture in America. And I think they're doing it to make our military weaker. I think that this is an intentional process that's happening right now to make our military weaker so that when we go to war next, we'll be a lot easier to defeat. I really think that that's what's happening. Wow. I'd agree agree with you. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a plan of some kind. I mean, this stuff doesn't just happen. I don't think that career military people woke up one morning and said, hey, you know what would be a great recruiting uh, message? Drag queens. I mean, I, so, yeah. yeah, no. So it, it's a, a clinical, uh, a clinical description of uh, g- gender dysphoria, where people who dress up as you know the alternate sex, uh, thinking that they're a man or a woman when they're when they're the opposite of that, and uh, it's, it's a clinical, you know, diagnosis. Like these people actually have a mental illness, and you know, up until recently, that was a disqualifier for military service. I mean, as, as far back as look at Nash with that uh, Corporal Klinger dressing up as a, a girl just so he could get out of the war, which, you know, it didn't happen. It was just comic relief at the time. Well, now that comic relief is real life. And, you know, you got to ask what, why, why are we doing this now? Why are we, why are we accepting these people that obviously they, they, they got their wires crossed somewhere? Obviously there's something not quite right with these people. Why are we, why do we want them you know, to be defending America and represent America, uh, the American fighting man. You know, and if if this focus on woke recruiting were so brilliant and it was actually increasing numbers of recruits, if it were effective, I would kind of stand back and shrug and say, OK, well, maybe it's effective. It's not effective. We're seeing huge deficits in the number of recruits. And that's not only because I, in my opinion, I'm curious what you think, a lot of red-blooded Americans don't want to join a woke organization, but also because of the physical fitness standards that a lot of young people can't meet. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let, let, let's go Let's go back to the recruiting thing real quick. I have a friend who's still like a duty, and he was telling me he was briefed last year that I can't, I can't remember if it was March or May or whatever it was, but one of those months, the Army had only recruited 24 people out of the entire country. Holy buckets. So, yeah. Wow. So to, to, to say that we're not meeting our recruiting mission is greatly understated. It's, it's, uh, and that's why the physical fitness standards are so low right now. That's why people can get in with, you know, a record and, um, you know, criminal record, stuff like that. You know, during the surge, uh, you know, during the mid 2000s, the the standards were loosened up quite a bit because we had to feed, you know, we had to feed the machine. But 
there's no war going on right now. There's no, no, well, there, obviously there's tons of small wars all over the world, but there's no major war going on right now where we're losing people, you know, 10 to 15 people a day or a month or whatever. We don't need to have the numbers where we have to sacrifice our standards. And, and they're doing it, and I can't see the reason behind it besides to just weaken the overall morale of people. Do you have any, and, and we're going out on a limb here and I'm surprising you, but um, that's okay. Do you have any horror stories, for lack of a better term, about interactions you've had with conventional warfighters? I mean, regular army folks, um, you know, being just not what they used to be. Do you have any stories for us about that? So I, I can't say like, like personally, I retired like four years ago and even when I was getting out, it seemed like people were and maybe not the same as when I first came in, but you know, they still seem pretty, pretty decent. But you know, nowadays I'll, I'll still go on post once in a while and just driving past platoons of people or going into the, the PX or something like that. And you'll see people that are obviously 30, 50 pounds overweight. It's very common just to see people with, I don't know if they, they're saying they're Vikings, but they have, you know, full beards or, you know, no real hair standard anymore. You know, it's just physical fitness. Their appearance doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look to standard. People don't, there's just no pride in their uniforms, the pride, they, the way they present themselves in uniform. It's just, it's disgraceful to the way that I was brought up in the military. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they're trying to, you know, loosen the standards to get more people in and, and that's one way. Uh, but like people can have, you can have a beard if you say you're a Viking now. <laughs> you don't need like, to be well, an operator. You just need to say yeah, you're a Viking. Okay, great. Exactly. Like you, you just change your your religion on your paperwork to Viking and now you can grow a beard and no one can say anything to you for it. And uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, maybe they are Vikings. Hell, I don't know, but I think it's a little ridiculous. You know, there can't be that many Vikings that are around the United States. <laughs> um, do you think so, it's, it's a, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just gonna say, I, there's no way there's, there's that many people, and then not, not kicking people out that are over, you know, grossly overweight, you know, or, or whatever, and, and allowing them to serve in a uniform like that. I just, if you can't perform, if you can't, if you can't do your job, then, yeah, and, and this brings up another point too. These, these transvestites, they're, they're, they're not, they're not deployable if they're going through gender reassignment uh, surgery. So now you have a soldier who you can't even use for deploying if they're going through that, that surgery. So like the, the Navy recruiter person, maybe they're on recruiting duty because they can't deploy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, if you have a regular soldier who's non-deployable, you have one year to get healthy or they kick you out. So, you know, what's the difference? Do you think this is salvageable? Do you think if we had a change of heart in this country and a change of administration, the military could come back to what it used to be, or do you think it's too far gone? No, I, I think it's salvageable. I think the, the majority of the military probably probably crave to have the standards back. I think that a lot of people have to turn a blind eye and just, well, that's, that's the new regulation, and they have to accept it if they want to continue to serve themselves. I think that the majority of the people in the military still want to do the right thing, and uh I think if they change the regulations back to how they used to be, I think they would be enforced. I, so yeah, as long as long well, as uh, the Paul Kitchens yeah. developing, yeah, I, I think so. I, well, I think it's. Go ahead. This is a this is a great segue into our next question, and we do not do this intentionally, but we're going to start a big topic that is of great interest to listeners, and then end the regular show and finish up this topic and another one in the after show. So the topic I'll mention is along the lines of episode 11 when you were on, do you think the military will follow unconstitutional orders? And I'll tell people what the second topic that will be exclusively in the after show is, so you'll want to listen to the after show. And that is we did a show in which we thought there is a diminishing threat of civil war, and it was pretty controversial. And in the after show, we're going to ask Special Forces Ted what his take is on that. But let's go back to the military following unconstitutional orders. You've been in a variety of roles in the military. Um, you've worked with a variety of non-military, you know, law enforcement people and things like that. What is your take on whether the military will follow unconstitutional orders? So 
it's 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 not just a black and white answer but here's my answer i think that uh the, the more people that have attended especially i mean now it's even in high schools but in colleges stuff like that the officers that go through all this uh you know all this wokeness training while while they're getting their education at the colleges and universities and stuff like that, including West Point. They are programmed to uh, to think differently than than, than your, your your average American. I would say. I think that the critical race theory and all that stuff is, is just part of their education now, and uh, a lot of the things that your average everyday American citizen looks at and kind of calls BS on. Uh, they're true believers of, and then that just filters down into the ranks. I think that generally speaking, um, your officer class of people uh, and and some of your uh, enlisted people, uh, and not all of your officers, of course, but but some of them uh, would would definitely follow the orders of whatever they're told to do, even if it's unconstitutional. Um, I think the more the more I guess elite. Is it one way to put it? The, the, the more training, the more, I don't know, the, the more people can see through some of that, that BS, uh, the, the more people are, are going to question those orders. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess the way the way I see it is, is, is yes, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that follow unconstitutional orders, but the more you lead, the, the more selected that you are, the, the better off those forces are going to be at, at actually – critically thinking through the problem set and then identifying what right and wrong is and then executing what is right. So I think that those people will not follow unconstitutional orders. Those are people like, you know, elite infantry units, special forces units, stuff like that. But you're going to have a huge mix. And the, the, the more this this uh, subversion takes place at the universities and in the, the high schools, the public schools and stuff, stuff like that, the more you're going to have people that, that just follow the orders because that's what it's what they think is right because that's how they've been programmed you know since the last 10 15 years it's an interesting word programming isn't it well and do you think and we have about a minute until we go into the after show um, do you think that having the the combat arms uh, people including special operations people in, in largely loyal to the constitution versus all the support troops who are largely disloyal to the constitution do you think that's a fair fight? I mean, how many Air Force refrigeration mechanics does it take to equal one Green Beret? I know that's a simplistic thing, but or is it more complicated than that? Because the Green Berets need refrigeration mechanics. I mean, how does that all who wins? Basically, we only have a few seconds. You have like I hate to do seconds, that to you. So go and then we'll carry on. <laughs> yeah, I guess whoever wins, whoever really has the will to fight. That's, that's where it boils down to. Awesome That's answer. a good answer. And we're seeing that in Ukraine, by the way. Absolutely. So, folks, we have so much more to talk about and with Special Forces, Ted, in the after show. Don't go away. Stick with us. So, as we always close off with, don't forget from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.